0: Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live, and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. All righty Why don't you guys have a seat? Have a seat and chill for just a minute. I'm gonna, I'm jumping right into God's word today. I'm excited to share with you some stuff. So why don't you get your Bibles open to the book of Matthew? Some notes out. Get ready to jot a few things down. I want to speak to your hearts today. Matthew chapter number 25, verse 31, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, and I'll leave that on the screens here for just a second, for those of you who do not have photographic memory, which is 99% of O's, and uh, so while you're, while you're looking that up, uh, I want to tell you that the title of my message today is called, Why the World Matters. Um, when I, was a, when I was a kid, we would play a game in the car. There was this game that we would play and we simply called the game Alphabet. Uh, the, that's kind of like a real novel name, Alphabet the Game. Well, that's actually what we called it. I think my mom dreamed the game up to keep uh, you know my three older brothers and myself and my younger sister all in order in the car because things could get a little wild with a bunch of kids in the big station wagon. Some of you don't even know what a station wagon is. It's like the, the the it was like the minivan before the minivans. All right, it's back when we didn't wear seatbelts and we just all jumped around the car. It was it was quite a wild time back in the 1970s when we were doing during this game. But back in the early 70s, we'd we'd play this game and uh, we called it Alphabet and, and it's where you would look at billboards, license plates, and signs Anywhere there were words or letters, and you would quickly call out letters of the alphabet in a sequential order, and you would have to identify where you got it from, and, and it, was, it was a fun game. The, the winner gets to Z, you know, and you win. Like, yeah, I don't know what we would win, but we would win the honor of winning alphabet, and that was a big deal to me. Uh, so... We would, we would be playing, and it would sometimes get a little challenging because if someone else sees a certain letter before you and they get it, and you're on that same letter, then you can't get that letter. You have to wait till another occurrence comes up. And so, you know, with some of the rare letters like X's or or you know just some of the, the weird ones, it's just it just gets a little more tough. And it was kind of tough. Uh, but but as we were doing that, living back in Hobbs, New Mexico, uh, in the early '70s, I. uh, I was about seven and a half, seven, year, seven, seven and a half years old. I started getting frustrated with the game because I was noticing that my brothers and even my mother, who was driving the car quite often, could see the letters before me and somehow they were seeing them more clearly and I didn't know how they were cheating. I didn't like it. Something was wrong with this whole deal. And then right about that same time uh, and as I was in Mrs. Oliver's class in second grade, do you guys remember Mrs. Oliver's second grade? Don't you raise your hand. You're lying. You weren't there. You were not there. I would remember you. <laughs> I had quite a few memories from Mrs. Oliver's second. But, but Mrs. Oliver, uh, I and I, I sat in the very back of the class and and I don't have no idea why I got to sit in the back of the class except my name last name started with a W, so she probably put me at the end, you know, into the alphabet. That's my life. That's what I had to live with, you know? tough being a kid. But but I, I, I would look up there at the board and and I couldn't s I like I couldn't see it. And I was wondering why she was writing so small and why her chalk wasn't as bright and as sizzling as it was earlier in the year and and uh, and, and I would tell her was like I can't see the board and, and I remember one time this really happened. I have been traumatized from my childhood, but Mrs. Oliver literally said, she goes, Timmy, you are faking it because I saw when we did your, your vision test, you are 20-20 vision. I still not know what 20-20 meant at that time, but she said, you have 20-20 vision. You can see just fine. Stop faking it. And I'm like, I'm not faking it. That that summer, I went to see the optometrist, and I showed up that fall walking down the hallways of Coronado Elementary School in Hobbs, New Mexico with my first new pair of glasses, and I walked right up to her, and I said, I wasn't faking making it. and I, want, I don't know whether she even knew what I was talking about, but I had to let her know that it was real. But I was diagnosed with a physical disorder. The physical disorder is called myopia. Those of you in the medical industry are going, ooh, "Ooh!" the rest of you are going, oh, poor Pastor Tim. It's known as nearsightedness. 25% of Americans have it. But the way my doctor described it is, and those of you who don't have nearsightedness, here's how it works, is, is you can see things that are close to, you can see them just perfect, but the farther something is from you, the more difficult it will be to see. And, uh, and it just becomes more and more blurry. What I learned is that myopia is actually a refractive Error. I learned that in school. Later, it's a refractive error. That means that your light, that your eye doesn't bend the light correctly, which then means if further something is away again, it's it's less clear. There is a there's a, a a way to correct myopia, and that is with corrective lenses. Thus, yes, and these are real. These these are not even fake. The fake ones some people wear, you know. These are these are real. I, these are not a fashion statement. They are corrective lenses. I wear these. I also wear contacts. Um, But when I wear corrective lenses, the world is bright, and it's colorful, it's clear, and I can get around and do just fine. Now, but today, there's actually a different type of myopia that I want to talk about, and it's what I call spiritual myopia. Here's what it is. It's where you can only see your own problems, your own personal struggles, your own issues that are right up front, and you can't really see what's way out there although it's really important, but you can't tell it's important because you're obsessed with only what you can see close up. And what's happening far from you seems to be dull and blurry and boring. If it's not right in front of your face, then it doesn't count. Now that is spiritual myopia. Now spiritual myopia actually is best corrected when we begin to see this world through a different lens. So today, I'm going to try to be your spiritual optometrist. Ooh, yeah, ooh yeah, all the rest, like, say, where'd you go today? I went to the optometrist. Oh, you know, I didn't know he was open on Sundays. I like, guess the spiritual one is. Well, that's, that's what I want to try to accomplish today to some degree. Here's the deal, though. The world matters. It really, really matters. Our theme for this year is hope for all. Uh, hope. I, I love the word hope. It's an amazing word because it makes you consider possibilities that are yet unseen. The sound of the word hope makes you begin to think, what is possible if? And, and you realize that hope is the foundation for faith. You can't even have faith unless you have some hope. So there's this deep passion of mine, it's always been there ever since I began preaching, is is this, and and I have it written in my notes, always wave a banner of hope. I don't even need to have it in my notes, but I've always had it there, wave a banner of hope every time I preach God's word, no matter what it is. That means to lift people up and give hope. In fact, our theme scripture for this year talks about how hope works. And it's found in the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And they're putting it on the screens. And I'm gonna ask you guys to read it aloud with me since it is our theme scripture for the year. I want you to read it with me. And uh, this actually tells you how it works, what happens when you do put your hope in the Lord. All right, take a look at it and let's say it together. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So Jesus is the hope of the world. Now, my passion is that hope will be instilled in every one of our hearts. That's why we say the theme is hope for all. No one is excluded. Um, when I was first explaining this to the staff last summer of what the theme would be for this year, I uh, there was we were sitting around the house and I was sharing my heart with them and I said, you know, hope, hope, what it really means, hope for all means hope for me. You know, I, I want to have hope for me. In fact, I just finished a series the last three weeks about having hope for yourself to 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 break free from from just uh, from these thoughts that just hold you back and pull you down and shame. Uh, hope for us. It can be hope for your church. It can be hope for your family. It can be hope for uh, your business. Hope for your community or your nation. There's a there's a communal effort, uh, a communal uh, element to hope that becomes powerful and we talk about that here. But today I'm taking it to the third level which is hope for them. <laughs> it's just them. Someone out of your eyesight. Someone's a little further out there and Today, I'm asking that we put on a lens to correct spiritual myopia because I really believe that we should have hope for them, which is people around the world, because the world matters, and Christianity is not all about me. It's not. Christianity is actually a selfless religion. As Christians, We don't just look to Jesus to give us hope, but we want Jesus to work through us to bring hope to others. That's why we say we make Jesus known. Jesus brings hope. In fact, do you realize that's one of the distinct characteristics of our faith that is not even replicated in any other religion? I'm a student of religions, and I'll tell you, there is no other religion that replicates the the that that message of of hope that's for all people. In ancient times, Um, History itself records how Christians introduced this concept of hope for all onto the scene as the church began to grow in uh, the early part of of Christianity. Uh, In the year 260 A.D., it was, a, it was the first time we see writings about it that was coming from the culture itself um, at that time. there was this horrifying epidemic that had invaded the roman empire and and these these ec- epidemics when they happen i mean they would be absolutely ravaging sections of the empire would literally just be devastated. death tolls could be up to uh, a third you know thirty thirty five percent of the people die I mean can you imagine one out of every three people die during one of these uh, these these time periods and and the reaction to an onset up of, of an epidemic with the Greeks and the Romans, the way they would respond is they would be, they would immediately distance themselves from the villages and they would abandon those places as quickly as possible. And what they would do in doing so, they would leave the dying people behind so that they could potentially save their own lives. Uh, and and uh, but but what began to happen is during some of these epidemics, miracles began to transpire, something began to shift, something that was never seen before because Christianity was rising on the scene and was beginning to displace some of these other false religions. See, there are writings that uh, at this time period that I was telling you about, 2060 AD, that that some of these Christians uh, began living in a way that was very, very different from the other religions. It's actually written by Dionysus of Alexandria, which was in the Roman Empire. Uh, he he wrote this on the occasion of a particular holiday, and and he said he said other people would not think this is a time for a festival because this is a it was a time of of, of a horrible plague. He says, but far from being a time of distress, it is an unimaginable time of joy because of the Christians. He was acknowledging this huge death rate and what he did is he noted that that uh, though this the, the, the death rate and the, the plague, it, it terrified the pagans that the Christians actually greeted the epidemic and he says with with the attitude of well this is simply schooling and this is testing and we're gonna get through this. So at this time other faiths were being called into question naturally and Christianity was offering the comfort and more important Christianity began to provide a prescription for action. The Christian way brought hope the Christian way began to hold society together. In fact, today we still see the evidence of it. Do you know that the modern healthcare uh, movement, what we see is just normal here in our, in our generation, was started by Christians, fueled by Christians. That It actually began at this time. That's why quite often you look around, and you see the names of hospitals, saint so-and-so, Methodist, Baptist, you know what I'm talking about. See, instead of running away from the plague so that they could be healthy and prosperous like the other pagans, the Christians of Alexandria reacted in an opposite way. They saw the epidemic as an opportunity to depend on God so that God could provide miracles of love and even healing to people's hearts and even their bodies. Uh, Dionysus then in his writings he explained how the followers of other religions acted which was very very different than the Christians and he said that the heathen behaved in a very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease they pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest throwing them into the roads and before they were dead they even treated them as unburied corpses. They treated them as dirt. Roman Emperor Julian, from around that same time period, he wrote these words. He says, these Christians, and he did wasn't one of them, <laughs> but he says, these Christians support not only their poor, but they support ours as well. And everyone can see that our people are lacking aid from us. <laughs> the secular world was taking notice even back then because of Jesus the thing is Christians see the world through a different lens what's out there is not blurry and is ob- not it's not obscure and we are not afraid of it it's real it matters to God and whatever matters to God matters to us around here we uh, we have hope for all and it's not just hope for me, hope for you, it's hope for all. We have hope for other people that we may not see right up close in front of us who are hurting and who are suffering and who are in need. And Here's the deal. With me, I just want my life to count. Hang around here any length of time, you'll find that out. And I hope, hope it rubs off on you. Uh, I, just, I, I really just want my life to count. That's why I just choose to live my life on mission. Um, the world matters. It matters to God, so it matters to me. But because the world matters to God, it also matters to us, and that's why that's why you're here. In fact, City Life Church, we really fall into this ancient tradition where Christians love and care for others without merit. Now, we call that compassion. That's the term that we use. Compassion is really probably one of the most practical expressions of our faith of Christianity. Now, wh- what we've done, even, a, even from a church structural point of view, is we have imbra- just really um, I- integrated compassion into our entire mission's uh, strategy and philosophy, uh, whether it's locally or internationally. Uh, today, though, I want to talk a little bit about the world. I want to talk about the international component, what we don't see right in front of our eyes all the time. Uh, the, our world mission strategy, for this year is threefold. Just want to share it with you real quick. It's it's threefold. First is to renew world missions commitments. Uh, last fall, we had to slow some of our financial commitments to keep ourselves within essential budgetary boundaries, which is which is very important. You have to do that. Uh, fortunately, though, our giving in our church since launch Sunday at the beginning of February has been healthier, and we and now we're at the point where we're we're ready to begin pouring back into world missions and and be uh, and give it a higher rate than we ever have before. So, second is we we will continue to fuel church planting efforts, and this is that's part of our international theme, um, as well as locally. And that'll be primarily by funding and participating with our partners with Five Stone Ministries. One of the things that you guys don't see, you didn't get to see, but happened like here in this room just uh, just a week and a half ago. This room, we had a luncheon here in this room. We provided lunch for people who are planting churches, and we, we provide training and, and relationships and help and hope and, and prayer, and, and it's just a time that we had like about three hours we were in here. You guys supported that. You guys put that on, although you didn't even see it happening. You're helping churches get planted. Thank you thank you that's part of our mission's work that's part of who we're called to be we're not just here for ourselves with this third area this is actually a new chapter of world missions that's going to begin this spring which spring is now and it's to begin child sponsorship through compassion international and i'm going to share with you just a little more about that how we're going to do that as a church in a moment but I know some of you are a little more analytical, and I love the analytical mind. So those of you who are the analyticals, I want you to listen up for the next two minutes because I want to share with you our world missions criteria. We actually have some criteria that we look at for world missions, so uh, so we we can determine what we're going to do and, and participate with and send our money to and. and put our efforts into it, what we won't do five areas five uh, criteria elements one is it needs we work only through official missions organizations that way let's say billy bob from billy bobs you know I, i've never met billy bob but just in case billy bob from billy bobs comes down here and say you know what you know what pastor tim that's that's how billy the bob would talk R- don't you think that's how he would talk okay all right all right i make fun of billy bob that's just how billy bob would talk you know pastor tim i i just feel like i'm supposed to go to mozambique and be a missionary and so i you know can you guys give me like fifty thousand dollars to go do that I uh, said, well, what mission organization are you working with? And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm just going to Billabob Ministries. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, no, <laughs> Billabob, no, nothing. No, that's not going to happen. You understand? Because official mission organizations have so much built into them that provides the integrity and the strength and, and the structure that makes these things work well. So we only work with official missions organizations. A second thing that we, we do is we look for organizations that have financial integrity in a history of it. And there are several criteria that we look for uh, in, in that case as well. That's a good thing, right? Especially in today's world. Next one is Jesus-focused. Let me explain why that is. That means gospel-centric, Jesus-focused. Th- there are a lot of good things that are out there where, where, where we can go and, and uh, meet a need and, and maybe provide some, some medicine and some healthcare and something like that or, or, uh, or provide some clothing or shoes for children. And those things are wonderful. And, actually, and we do that. We do that. But, but if you only do that... You, you may be helping that, that family out or that child out and helping them out and helping them to, to earn a living and, and helping them to, to be more prosperous and healthy and a longer life, but if you don't give them Jesus, you're only taking care of something temporary. You're not giving them the hope of eternity. So we wanna make sure that all of our ministry that we do, all of our compassion ministry is always accompanied with the ministry of Jesus, the gospel, all right? That's why it's so important because that's what we're called to do. And the, the the fourth thing is it's local church oriented. We wanna make sure that wherever we do work on an international level, there's a local church where the people are linked up with and and they're, they're serving because missionaries and even missions dollars comes and goes out of different areas and we don't want to, you know, we don't, would, would hate it like if a missionary's out there serving in a particular area and then they go home, all of a sudden all the work they're doing collapses if there's no local church. So there needs to be local church churches that we work with. Local churches is, is, is Jesus, it's his secret weapon for this world, and it works all over the world. So there has to be a local church involved. And the fifth area is this is the relationship established. In other words, I want to know who I'm working with. Right? Any of you, you, you know, if like me, where where well, you're not just going to take your car to any old mechanic. You want to go to you want to go to Fred <laughs> because I know how Fred fixed my brakes, and I like how Fred fixed my brakes, and I'm going to go back to him, and, and and I like the relational approach. In fact, staff knows this, is like, sometimes, uh, sometimes they'll lower stuff off the internet, it's like, why'd you do that for? Like, dude, dude, we know this guy right down here, the, down the road, and, and, uh, and so we go work with the guy down the road. You see, I, I, I like that, because it's relationship, I love relationship, um, and that's a very important with missions, because I just don't wanna be dealing with nobody, or with something I can't see, touch, or go visit and put my feet on the soil, and touch the person, and talk with them. You, you see what I'm saying? So, are those good criteria? I think they're very wise, very, very wise. Um, <clears throat> you see, this helps us to avoid what I call a haphazard approach to ministry. Uh, we have four values around here. One of our values, one of our core values is the value of the intention, which means we resist a haphazard approach to life, and we also resist a haphazard approach to ministry, which means we have these things in place to, um, so, that, so that we won't be investing funds or investing time into causes that we might regret. So that's what this is about. But part of our vision as a church has, when it comes to world missions has always been summed up with these words that are on the banner out in the vestibules from the Church I Dream statement which says this. It says the church I dream is part of our vision is called to the world. That's us. Bringing the hope of Jesus. There it is, that hope word again. To the ends of the earth planting churches with this same spiritual DNA. <coughs> In fact, over this past year, we've done this in a variety of ways. One of them is the Convoy of Hope disaster relief. Well, with disasters, we've been able to work with our partners at Convoy of Hope to, to provide relief and linked with local churches and all those criteria that I just showed you. Uh, five stone ministries with church planting and uh, and the India trip that, that, that we took this last fall. In fact, people went to India and, and even got engaged, you know, out in India and came back like, hey, we're gonna get married. It's like, okay, whatever. You just never know what might happen on a mission trip. But today, we're going to take a step forward. That's not why you go on a missions trip, all right? Uh, you, you can find your spouse right here in town, right? Right, guys, right, Eli? Okay, yes, yes, all right. But today, we're taking a faith step forward. This is a faith step. because so we're gonna give the hope of Jesus to some needy children in this world through compassion internationally. Now, you're about to ready to hear the story of Olive. Olive is a lady who is now an adult from Uganda. And she's going to explain how she was rescued through Compassion International. Because uh, several years ago, uh, an army came into Olive's Town. Her family was forced to flee their home. However, things dramatically changed when she was sponsored as a child through Compassion. Take a look at her story real quick.
1: When the Lord's Resistance army came to our homestead, I was very scared. We heard that they had begun burning homes in the next villages we knew that we couldn't stay in the huts anymore. My name is Olive Oneno, I'm from Muchwini, a small town in Kitkum District, Uganda. I felt very helpless most of the time, hiding from town to town and sleeping in the forest and walking long distances with no shoes. My grandfather keeping on saying, you gotta hold on, you gotta hold on. God will never change, he's still God trade because the Lord's Resistance Army were composed of people that you saw in the community, children that you knew, some of them you grew up with. And here are the same people who come in the villages and they're the same ones who are killing and butchering people. I just could not understand it. I felt like I was losing everything. Things changed for us when I became involved in the Compassion program. It was my refuge. I knew everything was okay. Through the Compassion Programme, I was able to get my first pair of shoes, get a mattress to sleep on, get the best medical care that I needed after having suffered from tuberculosis. I was also able to to the best school. And all that started because someone believed in me. My life has changed only because someone believed that they could make a difference, that they could release a child from poverty. And I'm here only because Christ lives in me and Christ worked through my sponsors to transform me and to heal me. Compassion made it possible for me to be where I am today by giving me hope. I am a social worker right now in Georgia. I work with a lot of children that have uh, severe and emotional behaviors. It's a challenge, but looking back at the experiences that I've gone through, I look back and say, this was what I was meant to do. My name is Olive Aneno, and I am a life changed.
0: Here's my dream. My dream is that we hear other stories like this in our church, maybe 15 years down the road, because of what we are initiating on this day. I really do. We've had this compassion model around our church since day one, since the very, very, very beginning, and you've probably heard me say it, but it's this, is we do for one what we wish we could do for all. And that helps to simplify it. it helps us to, we, we always go after the one because that's what Jesus did. We do compassion locally. We always have since the beginning. Uh, that's, that's actually been a huge part of our ministry here in Fort Worth. But today we're going international with our compassion. Uh, and we know that our sponsorship of children, it will profoundly impact their lives personally. Let me explain to you what happens because we as a church, we're going to uh, begin sponsoring children. And each of these children that we are beginning to sponsor, here's what they're going to receive. First of all, they'll receive medical checkups. Um, and these medical checkups often save their lives. They will receive begin to receive nutritious food on a regular basis. They'll have health and hygiene training. They'll begin to receive Educational assistance. They're going to have access to some of the special services in Compassion International, uh, such as surgeries and even help with disaster relief. Um, they will they will be able to receive mentoring to help them discover that they have incredible value as children of God. And most important, these sponsored children will hear about Jesus. And they're going to be encouraged to develop a lifelong relationship with Jesus. And all of this will happen through a connection of a local church. Now, in the next few weeks, in the coming weeks, we're going to start sharing with you one at a time the photos of the children that we will be choosing tomorrow. Uh, You're going to get to see their pictures you'll hear their stories, we'll learn to begin to pray for them. Um, As time goes by, we're going to receive letters from these children, and we'll be able to write to these children ourselves, and we will be making, hear me well, a long-term commitment to these kids, and we're going to be praying for them. I I have a vision (laughs) that uh, City Life Church will be able to grow beyond just having a few children that we, we care for. I actually the, the vision that I had is that is that we would be able to somehow adopt a village, and, and I didn't even know if that was possible. I didn't know whether that would work or not or, or anything, and, and, and I was, uh, one of the, when I go to church, because I, I, I go to church with you too, but sometimes I go to church just to receive, and, and I, I do this through uh, minister's conferences and things like that from time to time, but last July, I was at a minister's conference with a bunch of pastors, uh, and as well as just other people, thousands of other people, and... One of my pastor friends was talking about this and he just said, you know, he started working with Compassion International, which is about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the church was about our size and and they, they started supporting a few children. And he just said it just began to grow. It just slowly began to grow. He said, and before we knew it, we had actually gotten to the place where we had uh, we were sponsoring the entire village. I said, really? That's that's like that's what I want. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I think we're supposed to do. And, and he said, oh, but it, it's gone beyond that because this church has grown significantly since then. He said, A- and when we started finished sponsoring that village, well, there was another village nearby, and we started sponsoring that village, and then another, and then another, and then another. And as time has grown by, this thing has gotten so big. We're now at the at the verge of actually sponsoring the entire nation. It's a small country. Can you imagine that? Those are the things we dream about around here. We dream big. Wouldn't it be awesome when we start showing you these pictures here in the next few weeks, wouldn't it be awesome to get to meet some of those children face-to-face in the future and go visit them in their villages? Now s- now, now, you're beginning to see things through a different lens. Is that Right? Now, this means your spiritual myopia is being corrected. We all have it, and we all need it from time to time. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter number 25, verse 31. Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. 31. Uh, this is Jesus' final public sermon. Now, he gave some teaching to his disciples after this, but this is his final public sermon that he addressed to a crowd before he hung on the cross. And in this teaching, he's discussing what it will be like at the final judgment. So let's take a look at this in Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. Jesus says this. He says when the son of man, and that's him, when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That'll be an incredible moment, right? Then he says all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he's going to tell them why. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Jesus will say, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? I mean, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then Jesus, the king, will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. It doesn't say that Jesus curses them. They curse themselves. Go into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? It's because I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will, they will answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The end of Jesus' final public sermon. Right there, that leaves no doubt in my mind what God thinks about showing compassion to others. That story truly corrects our spiritual myopia, doesn't it? you, You see the world through a different lens when you understand the gravity of that story. Whatever we do to the very least, we do it to Jesus. Would you just pray with me right now? God, we want our hearts to be soft. We want our hearts to be sensitive to you and to your voice and to your call. God, we want to be people who are giving ourselves to the cause of Christ, your cause. We want to reach out to those who are far from us. Hope for all means hope for people we can't even see. Hope for all means that we're going to reach out to people we may never ever meet and give them a hope around the world. We choose to do that. We want to do that. let us be a people who do, does that. Let us be individuals who do that. God. let us be a church that does this in jesus name in Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed, I do have another question to ask you. maybe you 're here today, and you 've never surrendered your life completely to jesus it 's possible that you 're here and you 've come into this place and, and you find yourself you 've drifted from god and and um You want to know the Jesus that we talk about. You want to be a part of this greatest movement on the face of the earth. You want your sins to be forgiven. You're ready for a new start. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to respond in just a moment by lifting your hand knowing this, that Jesus loves you more, more than you can imagine, and he died for you so that you can live forever, and today is the time to begin to say, it's time for me to live. If you want to be included in my closing prayer, and surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand at the count of three. That way I can connect my faith with yours when I see your hand. Will you do that right now? One, two, three. Lift your hand for me. Lift your hand for me. Connect my faith with yours. Thank you. Who else? You put your hands down. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to pray. As you're, as you're just continuing in your seat, if you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this. Congregation of believers, I want you to pray this as well with me. Please do. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the son of God. Mm, Forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for salvation. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head
1: over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.